Welcome to the Inside Aesthetics Podcast. Our mission is to strip away the myths and hype that often surround the aesthetics industry. Inside Aesthetics aims to get to the bottom of the important topics that concern medical and allied health professionals, as well as the consumers themselves. We'll be showcasing the thoughts and experiences of experts in their respective fields. Each podcast will focus on a specialty, including surgery, non-surgical procedures, nutrition, well-being, and business knowledge from the personalities that have helped shape our industry. This podcast and its related publications provide news and general educational information about cosmetic procedures and well-being. It does not promote or endorse any cosmetic procedure, brand, or product. You should seek professional medical assessment before considering any treatment. Today's guest on the podcast is Cassie McNeil. Cassie is the general manager and co-owner of the Cosmetic Journey Forum. Cosmetic Journey is focused on providing a superior online experience for all users, creating a well-moderated, trustworthy and informal online space for people who are considering, researching, having or recovering from cosmetic plastic surgery, cosmetic dentistry, weight loss therapies or non-surgical enhancements. Cassie also attended La Trobe University, where she graduated with a Bachelor of Law and a Bachelor of Arts majoring in political science and government. Cassie's come all the way from Melbourne to see us. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. How was your flight? It was interesting. Really? Always is. What happened? You're implying something happened. (laughs) Oh, no, interesting conversations. People you meet on aeroplanes. So you weren't managing a medical emergency? No, but I do carry an EpiPen, so. What about Mace? You worried about stranger (laughs) danger? (laughs) Uh, No, but maybe... Strangers should be worried yes. about me. They I can should talk have the mace, right? <laughs> oh, so what have you been doing up in Sydney? Uh, just wrapping up the year, getting ready for 2019. So getting some things ready for cosmetic journey and um, patient story videos and blogs for the website, that kind of thing. So it should be exciting. How's that going? Yeah, really good. Really good. It's um, an interesting time because... Now more than ever, patients are really willing to share their story from the beginning right through their their surgery, post-op and, um, you know, even past that. So their healing phases right up until 12 months post-op, then usually they back to living their life. And Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you want to just sort of briefly summarise for our listeners what Cosmetic Journey is and what do you do within the company? Yeah, so... Um, Cosmetic Journey started out as a plastic surgery forum and that was our previous name, Plastic Surgery Forum. And basically it's a website that has a few components. The biggest part is the forum. So it's where anyone can join up and ask other people questions about plastic surgery, cosmetic surgery procedures. Um, Usually they're in the research phase, so they're might be thinking about having a procedure. They might have seen a treatment online or advertised somewhere and they're not quite sure if it's, you know, any good. Is is it real? Does it work? What was someone's experience with Mm. that? Um, And more so about, um, more so people are looking for um, information about um, practitioners and surgeons and who should they see for this procedure? Has anyone had any experience? And and what was your experience like? So. that's the biggest part of the website. About five years ago, we um, 
Actually, I think I just added two years on there. I think it was about <laughs> three years ago we we um, monetized the site and we created a, a plastic surgery directory. And so that's where plastic surgeons in Australia, they sign up and they have a profile. And I always say it's similar to you know, car sales or realestate.com in the sense that a, a surgeon can showcase their practice. They can list their procedures. They can show their before and after pictures. Mm. Um, but probably the biggest um, asset about having a profile is that patients can review that surgeon on their profile, which so means- it's moderated. There's, there's a, a surgeon saying what he does, but there's the, people, the buyer's experience. Exactly. Um, all of the reviews that are on a surgeon's profile are moderated. Like you said, we take certain information from them that we wouldn't in the main forum. So a phone number, a surgery date and a name, which isn't published, but it just gives us that information so that we can verify that they are a, a real person, um, they had surgery and that this was their experience. Um, so that gives a, an additional level of, of trust in our website in what people are saying mm. and it also makes it easier for patients or prospective patients to access that information quickly yeah and then they can actually click on a particular review and ask that person a question directly through a private message or um you know a little group chat so that's kind of in a nutshell yeah <laughs> what we do what do you do with those uh clients who have maybe had an unusually bad experience and they rate them very very poorly but it was maybe not the surgeon's fault yeah they're just you know their booking was forgotten by the receptionist or something like that you you, you know it's like going on TripAdvisor and someone pans the hotel because their food was cold one day but the rest of the experience was fantastic and they give them one out of ten so there's so many there's so many factors it can cause someone to give a bad review you know they might have had unrealistic expectations exactly. or you know, with everything in life, there's risks and, and things can happen. So, yeah, I mean, it's a good question. Yeah, so because we have that relationship with the surgeons in terms of their they have signed up for the procedure or for the um, the directory, mm. we usually have a an access point within the clinic. We haven't actually had a whole lot of bad reviews come through on the surgeon's profile, but an example of... Uh, one that we decided not to publish was um, a patient who had photos um, with her review and she had had a breast lift and a breast augmentation and she was unhappy with the outcome. And looking at the photos, they they weren't bad results. They weren't great. Um, so we contacted the clinic before we published it mm. and um, we had to verify that actually, you know, it was – a, a, a real patient. Client. It was yep. a genuine client. Um, and there was some interesting details that were um, missing from her review. Probably the biggest detail was the fact that her actual surgery was seven years ago and she'd just had another baby. Right. Oh, so okay. we decided not to publish that because it wasn't an actual fair representation and we gave them the opportunity to put in that additional information so that at least it was a fair representation. Yeah. Um, they declined, so it didn't we didn't put it up because at the end of the day we we want to make sure that all of the information that is on our website is going to be helpful. Yes, is going to be fair and is going to be honest. I guess ultimately you're you're neither representing the surgeon nor the client. You're you're just in the middle, 
not taking anyone's side. You're, you're just sort of trying to take a balanced Exactly. View. We just want to give everyone the the tools and the information there so that they can make their own decision based on real information. I think that's really important because when you look at things like Google, for example, where anyone can go and write a review, there's no one moderating the truthfulness behind or the motives behind why someone might write something negative. So I think that's a really great... And if great you ever you, look yeah. at those negative reviews, that, there's always... In, in those instances, I find two types of people that are going to go and leave a review off their own um, volition, and that is someone who's really happy or who's really pissed off. Yes, there's no there's no sort of, oh, it was okay. You don't yeah. tend to see those ones. We, we tend to see them a little bit more in the forum because they've been there from the beginning. They've been there through the whole journey. So it is just, you know, the icing on the cake for them. It's, it's not going um, out of their way to leave a review. They were already there. That's how they found their surgeon. So it's kind of like paying it forward. Yeah, it's like a community. It's yeah. like a community. So you can actually follow their journeys from beginning to the end. Mm. But, yeah, like you said, on Google, they're, they're motivated one way or the other. And so it's hard to find, you know. Yeah. Okay, why? <laughs> I mean, I know this isn't specific to obviously what you're offering, but there's a well-known taxi company I won't say their name and you have to review at the end of every journey you take as does the driver and it's got to a point now where unless you give full five-star feedback either way whether the driver leaves it for you or vice versa you then have to justify why you have given only four out of five worse still if it's three out of five because then they could block you as a passenger or and, I, and it's pretty sort of pen- there's stiff penalties for drivers as well if they fall below a certain yeah, and um, you sort of yeah. wonder who is arbitrating this and what if I didn't actually have a five out of five experience but I don't want to be uh, criticised as a passenger and barred because I didn't get five out of five. You know, where does, as a moderator, where do you feel is the ethics of truth versus, you know, just sometimes we have a poor experience? You know, that's probably one of the hardest things. If you if you ask me what is the biggest challenge for us, you just hit the nail on the head. It, it would be moderating um, people's experiences because there there there's always three sides to a story. You know, the truth, their side, yeah, <laughs> yeah. your side, their side, and and somewhere the in the truth, middle, yeah. somewhere in the middle. And a big challenge for us is not necessarily someone going out of their way to leave you know, an actual dedicated review. But if someone is talking about their experience and it was less than positive and they they put it online and it's, you know, discoverable on Google and the practitioner, the surgeon, whoever finds out about it and their version is different. We're not um, truth seekers, you know, we're not (laughs) moderators in the sense that, you know, we're there to find the truth. We're just a platform for people to share their experiences. But from a a practitioner's point of view, it is difficult because there's restrictions on what you can do. You can't reply to a review necessarily without um, giving out confidential information about that patient. So uh, we definitely appreciate that side of it as well. Um, Usually we get... um, in that instance, they'll write to us or they'll report it and and say why that it's not a fair representation and sure. then we make a judgment on that. But usually we just make a, a legal judgment. So yeah. is it defamatory? Is it their own experience or is it hearsay? We don't allow any hearsay. So, you know, 
David's best friend had a really bad experience with this person and, and he's he's online saying, no, don't go to them. We won't allow that because it's not their own experience. Mm-hmm. But um, usually you just have to accept that. I guess, you know, if you're going to put yourself out there to hopefully get the majority of five out of fives, you, you have to take it on the chin. You do sometimes. have to take it on the chin. And, you know, um, people who are researching, they're, they're pretty discerning and then usually not going to be thrown off by one, you know. I don't trust five-star reviews, just, people, just for exactly. the record. Oh, it needs to look legit. Real Stuff actually <laughs> did a study on this and said that, um, you know, like a 4.9 was more trustworthy or 4.7 than someone who has five stars because you're never going to please everyone. Um, but also I'll I say. <laughs> <laughs> no, Can we ask the wife that question? <laughs> <laughs> but usually if um, you you know, I was always told growing up, if, if all of these people are saying something about you and you're the only one saying, no, that's not true, m- maybe they're right. You know, if, if all of these people are saying, you know. It's the critical mass rather than the, the number and, itself. And maybe, and maybe that might be time to take that feedback on board because it will help you in your business. You know, if, if people don't like, you know, the pictures that you're displaying and they find it, they interpret it a certain way. Maybe that is something that you should take on board. Yeah. Now, you might not want to. You might not feel comfortable answering this. But where does this put you from a legal perspective? So you've got this forum that's getting what you've got like twenty eight thousand members now, or something along those lines. So I'm Doctor X Y Z, and this person's written a review. You guys have, you know, had a look at it and decided that it's legit. But this surgeon doesn't like it. Where does that put you? Where you've now got a negative review for a surgeon up online for the world to see and they don't like it. Are you legally compromised? Like where does that put you if you get a really negative review? Um, According to our lawyers, it puts us (laughs) at the Supreme Court. Right. Um, Yeah, it it is a big, big thing for our business. And, you know, I'm not going to say that we haven't had those legal experiences before and it's about balancing what's fair, what's right and, you know, what we can do. And in some instances, we, we, we might have to take it down. We have other things in place, um, not just for, um, you know, overly bad reviews, but if, uh, if we continue to have problems with, say, one particular clinic or a surgeon or a doctor, we might take the step to just remove their name completely from the site. So it comes up in stars, for instance, or it just will come up blank. Um, and in that instance, it might not necessarily mean that they're a bad surgeon um, or that they're trying to sue us or anything like that. But it's just a, a precaution that usually it's agreed on from both sides if we can't come to an agreement. Because what we don't want to do is be bullied or, um, you know, harassed into taking down bad reviews. I would rather take down everything about someone because if you take down just the bad reviews, it makes a false positive. And people think, wow, this person has only good reviews online. I'm going to go, I'm going to go to him and, um, or her. And, you know, then they have a bad experience and what, you know, it's what, what can you do? It, so we'd rather not have, um, anything online but you know that's a step that we usually take in consultation with with that person and we both agree to it otherwise we you know we will defend it uh usually they'll go straight to the source Mm. so um 
whomever's actually writing the review and um, deal with them directly because that's, um, you know, if they're going to go and leave that review on our website, they're probably going to do it elsewhere Mm -hmm. Um, and they'll tell all of their friends about it verbally as well. So, but yeah, it is a situation that we have found ourselves in and our lawyers hate it. (laughs) Yeah. But it is, it's a moral dilemma for me, especially because, you know, I think that everybody should be free to share their own experiences. And as long as that they are true and fair, we'll let them stay. Mm. How does your website compare to, say, Google reviews, which was the obvious one that, you know, a lot of clients put weight on? They, You know, I know from, you know, you can look up a car or a restaurant or anything and people will be like, oh, it's got five stars on Google. It must be good. How do you differentiate yourself from well, that? Google, from, from a practice's point of view, Google reviews are great because it will help them with their SEO. It will help them, you know, be more discoverable online. So we don't really compare in that sense, but our reviews are a lot more comprehensive to start with. So uh, patients usually won't leave just a two-line review. Mm. A lot of the times they'll leave their before and after pictures. They might censor out their faces. Um, But they'll talk about the whole journey why, how they found that surgeon, why they went to that surgeon, what their experiences were like. But it also allows other members to interact with that person. So like I said, they can click on that person's um, name. It's a made-up name. It's anonymous. Yes. Um, and again, that is also another thing that's different to Google reviews. Oh, so um, prospective clients can speak to the person who left the review. They can. And ah. the re- person who left the review just needs to create a username. So with Google reviews, it be- it shows your whole name. And in this industry, patients don't really like that, particularly if it's a plastic surgery procedure because they like to, yeah, there's still people like to re- remain anonymous and they can do that on that on our website. Of course, we take information from them that we don't publish. Um, but yes, prospective patients can um, in- message them and interact with them and ask them a question. You know. hmm. I mean, is there a way, I'm trying to see this from both sides, obviously the, the public has the right to leave a bad or a good review, but can the surgeons also, I guess, manipulate the game somewhat? So for example, clients might not know there's this thing called the cosmetic journey, and yet the surgeon could send out an email to all the people who knows who's going to get positive feedback from and say, hey, can you go on this website and leave me some great reviews and not tell the negative people that? Like there's always a loophole. Yeah, I mean that's um, and I'm sure they do that, and I'm sure they do it with Google and Real Stuff and other review platforms. That from a business perspective, from that point of view, that um makes a lot of sense to to do that. Um, usually, if someone's had a bad experience and they're not happy and they're inclined to leave a review, they're going to do it anyway. They'll research that They'll, be, they'll be motivated to go through the They'll effort. be motivated and if they're really pissed off, they won't just do it on Google, they'll do it everywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Which also clouds maybe how, you know, it, maybe it wasn't as bad as they are portraying by leaving so many reviews. You know, you've got to oh, temper. You can, and, and this is what I say to, to surgeons as well. Like you can, you can tell the tone of a review um i've read reviews before that a, the surgeon wouldn't operate on me um you know i did i went and saw this surgeon for um a, you know a brazilian butt lift and i weigh 39 kilos and he wouldn't operate on me how dare he mm. you, 
a, a rational person who's reading that would understand you, that that's clearly not fair. Yeah, might actually be like, well, actually, that that might be a good thing. Um, you know, my boyfriend thinks I'm ugly, and I wanted to get a nose job, and this surgeon wouldn't operate on me. How dare he? You, maybe that's not a good reason to have surgery, and you, you can. It's hard to apply common sense to people who don't have it, though. No, exactly. <laughs> but but you would hope that the the patients or the prospective patients who are reading these reviews do have common sense and can um, differentiate between those sorts of things because you you want to attract the right kind of patients and you don't like David said he doesn't trust five star reviews. Um, yeah, they look they look they look they, fake. They look like they're too good to be true. Too good to be true. What's going on here? Um, so you, you want to attract the sensible patient. In this industry, you, you don't want to attract patients that have body dysmorphia, that have, mm. um, you know, underlining psychological reasons that would, you know, affect how they're going to feel about their results. You you, you want to steer clear of them. They might need um, a different kind of help that you can't give them. Yes. Now, so. if um, do you guys ever act as, I guess, as a moderated mediator yeah between the patient the surgeon so say for example you know dr jake whatever whatever has a patient that's written a bad review um would the surgeon then have the opportunity to go look i didn't know this patient was unhappy i'd like to reach out to them and actually make it better does that actually happen happens more often than you think and so in that instance because um the surgeon we contact the clinic Mm. when, when the official reviews that come through um we contact the clinic and we let them know. We give them an opportunity to, you know, investigate it. And nine times out of ten, they they might not have known that patient was unhappy. I will give you one instance where I, I, I we didn't want to be this involved. It just happened because they didn't want to contact the clinic. But they she ended up going back in for a, a follow up consult and. In the end, I feel like she just wanted to be heard, and mm. so she ended up going back into the clinic. You know, we there was a bit of back and forth thing between us <laughs> on both ends, and um, she ended up going back into the clinic and sorted out her issues. And she went from being an unhappy patient to to really happy. And yeah. um, they they didn't know. I mean, I won't give you any specifics, but in my experience, when people aren't happy, and and I've seen it from other doctors where their clients aren't happy, it's unusual. Or, or should I say it's typical that clients don't like to... It's confrontational. Yeah. They find it confrontational to give the feedback and so they'll hop to another doctor who they want to sort out, you know, the problem, inverted commas. And often it's something that could have been easily sorted at the point of source. Why do you think that is? You know, you, some patients or well, just individuals like I hate talking on the phone. I would rather text someone than call them up. That's just my personality. And I think um, with, you know, procedures and things like that, there is just people don't know how to, to bring up those issues with the person in front of them. So it is easier to go online and... Keyboard warrior. Key, keyboard warrior. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's also quite, I mean, I think that, you know, a lot of people go to surgeons to deal with something that might be their deeper, deepest, darkest insecurity and then to, you know, go through the procedure and not be happy. It might be all too confrontational to actually go and say, look, I'm not happy. It might be just I too do, much. I do see, especially with, um, you know, plastic surgery procedures, there tends to be an initial period where they're unhappy they're waiting, they're hoping something will change. Then there's this period where they think, 
I'm going to be happy. I spent all of this money. I have to be happy. And then, you know, 18 months later, they finally admit to themselves, I'm not happy. I need to do something about it. And by the time they've gotten to that point, they're a little bit more bitter Mm. than if it was initially straight away. Maybe this is because I'm a doctor and uh, maybe I'm thinking from the wrong angle and I'm not the patient, but if someone comes to, to a plastic surgeon for a cosmetic procedure and presumably they've had one or two consultations, the surgery, the follow-up, et cetera, et cetera, I feel like, and maybe I'm being unfair, that the, the, the patient has the obligation. obligation to see that to its end, even if they're unsatisfied, to give the surgeon a the chance to, yeah. not even to rectify, but just to let things heal be realistic about this stuff. It's not waving a magic wand, it's surgery. I think that a lot of that comes down to patient selection in the first place and more so and and plastic surgery clinics in... Try not to get too oh, far away from the mic. Um, <laughs> clinics can, are a business as well. So it can be difficult, especially for someone starting out, to knock back a client and say, you know what, I don't think that we're a good fit, but it needs to be a good fit from both ends. And as from the doctor's point of view, you know, if they don't feel that, you know, quote unquote connection with the patient, either maybe they should decline to um, operate on them or or to treat them. Um, But I do agree with you that things do need to be followed all the way to the end. Um, There is a healing phase. Um, we live in a fast society, you know. It's I, you know, credit. I, I want it. <laughs> I want it now. I don't want to save up for something. I, I, I want after pay it and get it now. And yep. um, I think that might be a bit more of a reflection on just the society. way that society is heading. Mm. I mean, is that because we can just filter our face on Instagram and you know see what you would look like better? And if you don't get that instantly, there's this immediate disappointment and. And that's where patient education is is really important. Like if I'm going to have fat dissolving injections under my chin, I might have to wait three months to see the, those results. But I think the difficult thing in, with the procedures that take some time to see the results is it's a little bit like losing weight. For the person who's losing the weight, they can't really tell. Every second um, an hour. So exactly. So I think in that instant. In that situation, before and after pictures are really important as well. So then you can actually show someone where they started and where they are now. But another thing that I do notice is when someone is spending money on fixing something that they don't like about themselves, whether or not it's, you know, thin lips or or their breasts, they tend to really focus on it and they'll see Mm -hmm. things afterwards that they didn't know were there at the beginning. Absolutely. Asymmetry. Um, well, the problem's just bigger now if you're talking about breast augmentation. Well, breast, yeah. but not just breast, even even on the face, you know, mm. um, they might have some anti-wrinkle injections in their forehead and, and suddenly they think, well, one eye's, th- this eye's bigger. They'll check yeah. every millimetre because they never scrutinise that before. They, they didn't. Which is and, fair enough. Yeah. But, you know, it's hard to sort of manage that but you know like you said before and afters and and the consult process even before you lay hands on the patient's probably key from what you're saying you know that that is part of the surgeon and but you've also got to be careful because these are um things that people are sensitive about and again i've had i've seen reviews where it's like well 
this person pointed out all of these things about my body that I don't like Mm. and made me feel really bad about myself when you're trying to educate them so that they – it, it's never going to be it's, five uh, stars in, in real life. It's like a minefield of so many things that could potentially make a patient unhappy. I mean, I've got a, a friend of mine who is a surgeon who routinely will send his patients to be cleared by a psychologist before he'll actually agree to operate on them because he wants to make sure that they're doing it for the right reasons. There's no underlying issues. Um, I think it's getting to that point for some people. I guess more con- it, more conservative it, it surgeons. Certainly yeah. is, and I, I do know that um, you know even the medical board recommends that um, patients undergo psychological evaluations, or that you at least do um, your own screening um, within the clinic before you you operate on them. Um, but even then, you're going to have you're never going to please everyone. No. Yeah. And um, I think it's important to be realistic from a business point of view and understand that, and um, you know maybe spend the extra time just to make sure that this person is aware of everything that they're getting themselves into, that they're aware of the healing time. And if they have unrealistic expectations, don't touch them. Just, yeah. you know, t- you, you can't help them. Well, I think Jake was right, you know, with Instagram filters and everyone putting their best their best self forward, um, you know, we can get anything we want at the click of a button. So, realistic expectations and understanding that things take time, I think is it's a cultural issue across the board. We want everything. We want it yesterday and we want it to be perfect. And, because, you know, yeah. the rise of the selfie in terms of um, I'm sure that um, ENT surgeons and, and rhinoplasty surgeons that, that specialise in that procedure have seen a huge rise in the amount of people who, who will bring um selfies and then you know morphed photos of how they i mean no one looks good from that angle (laughs) (laughs) no one yeah um but it is we're just more aware of we're more conscious and aware of ourself because of you know how many sources of social media are there you know there's so many ways of seeing yourself now online where five ten years ago you would never see the angle of yourself or your nose you or your just, double you chin. You wouldn't, exactly. So I don't think we have changed. I just think that our perception of ourselves is changing. And, you know, it's a bit weird. The, the selfie and the filtering and people being really upset and, and depressed about how they look because their friend took a bad photo at Saturday night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's an yeah, interesting it, world. It, it is. And um, I think... Um, you know, if if when those patients who do bring in filtered photos of themselves and say, I, I want you to make my lips look like this Instagram filter did, you mm. need to be aware of that um, before you decide to treat that patient. Um, I even I even do it, you know, I, I look at my skin and <laughs> wish I had, you know, but I'm never going to have um, – Instagram filtered skin because no one has Instagram filtered skin. Mm, yeah. I mean, it's probably a good uh, segue to talk about social media generally. I mean, how do you feel from, I don't know, from the cosmetic journey's perspective of surgeons using social media to advertise their services? Do you think that it, I mean, it's of course, they're a business a at the topic. end of the day. <laughs> yeah. But there are rules and regulations for our listeners who maybe don't understand that, you know, um, you're not allowed to, for example, promote brands or products or medical names. So th- there are quite tight um, 
boundaries for which people can operate in and yet still people's trying to promote the services so how, how do you find that dynamic um it's difficult and it <laughs> these are you know we're dealing with elective procedures really so people want to know as much information as they can um and so in that respect in terms of talking about um, brand names of, you know, not just injectables, but even implants and, um, and things like that. There, there is actually a difference between, you know, the different brands, the different um, styles of implants they offer, the different, you know. Round versus teardrop. Round versus so teardrop, so injectables, you know, the thickness of a, you know, which part of the face. And I think it's important from um, a prospective patient's point of view to to be educated because th- these are th- things that m- might affect their outcome and we're given the opportunity when we meet the surgeon or when we meet our practitioner to choose between these things um, and often w- without being able to research brand names, for instance, you don't have um, a whole lot of information available to you other than what you're being told at that consultation yeah. um, and then you know, if you decide to proceed um, with surgery or procedure, you know, that that was your moment to um, make that decision and, and that can affect if someone's going to be happy with the outcome. And it might be a case of, you know, what's good for you isn't good for everyone else. Um, so I would like to see the laws change in Australia to allow a little bit more freedom hmm. um, for practitioners to be able to mention the name of the um, products that yeah. they use. It seems it seems interesting. I mean, I don't know whether or not a brand name would dissuade someone from having treatment. But it's not necessarily the brand name, but there's different product ranges yeah. within a brand um, range that that would affect the outcome for. Oh no, I mean in terms of the law existing, uh, I'm, I'm trying to understand why is it there? Is it because they don't want to? I mean, Jake, you. I mean, yeah. my perspective is that, for example, let's use Instagram because it's probably the popular way of advertising these days. It for me, it's just an entry point for a doctor to advertise their services. You're not going to try the, to give them every bit of information, price, and every outcome possible in that little post. It, hopefully, it stimulates enough conversation interest from a, a prospective client to then contact you, and then you know you can talk about that in more detail. Show them the brands, the implants, whatever you're offering. But you're right; it, it's almost as if we have to talk in a deliberate code in the public, which is, I guess, deliberately confusing because we're not allowed to, because that's what the law says. And, and that is a frustration for clients because they'll always message you saying, hey, what brand do you use? And, and, and you can't be explicit because that, the law binds you to, to not do that. I guess the industry's moved so fast it sometimes takes time for the law to, to catch, catch up. up. Yeah. Um, but from a consumer perspective, there's... Um, there's always going to be people who operate outside of the law or on the skirts of the law and, um, you know, they may offer a, a, a brand new, you know, anti-wrinkle injection thing that's, you know, supposedly really great and it's not even a, um, you know, it's not even supposed to be here in Australia. It's not recognised. It might have been illegally imported. Yes. Um, and so I think that we have um, a right to be, be able to have access to that sort of information as a consumer and say, well, 
What is it that you're what using? What is it that you're using? And can I find any information about this online? And, and you can't. Here in Australia, you can't. If you Google a, a brand name, you'll you'll get directed to overseas websites, um, you know, usually in the USA or overseas. Um, and it it's it might be considered... And then you're not talking about Australian-specific treatments. You're not talking treatments. about Australian-specific treatment, but things that are, are safe or well, considered safe for... Um, use in Brazil, we might not consider safe um, for use here, but you know, you you, you can't get that you can't get that information. So I, I find that a little bit frustrating and a little bit unfair, to be honest. Um, as a consumer, um, I want I want to know what I'm being offered and and whether or not it's safe. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you can advertise alcohol. <laughs> And cigarettes. Well, I think it's, I think the laws on cigarettes have gotten a, a little bit tougher, but I mean, I think far more people have had adverse reactions to alcohol than they have, say, yeah. a cosmetic injectable treatment. Uh, it's it's interesting. It's it, it, look. I think I think that it's interesting part of medicine because when you're dealing with medicine and doctors as a whole, it's. You know, people think it's it, you're you're treating something that's wrong. Um, you're, you're fixing an ailment. You're you're you have a heart condition. You might need to be prescribed medication to fix that condition. And I understand from that point of view, but this is elective. This is something that we are choosing to do because, um, for for whatever reason, but we're choosing to do it. It's not medically necessary, and and that is why forums like us exist because people do like. To, to research and they don't go to their GP and ask for a referral and say, you know, I, I want to get a breast augmentation. Can I have a referral? I'll tell you now, nine and a half times out of 10, that patient is going to the GP and telling them, I want a referral for X, Y, and Z. This is who I want to see. Whereas, you know, you've, you've dislocated your shoulder. It's medically necessary. You, you just, mm. you'll, you'll go with, um, with what the doctor's telling you, what's mm. available at the time, but this is something we're choosing. And so we have to live with the consequences because mm. we chose to do this. So if, if you end up with lumpy lips um, after you've had filler, you kind of put a bit of blame on yourself as well. Like, I chose to do this to myself. We, I wasn't given the information um, at the point of research to be able to know what this person was telling me is what's going to be right for me. And I, I, I truly believe that we're all adults and most of the time us as individuals are the person who is best placed to decide what is um, right or wrong or best for us. Obviously, under the guidance um, of your doctor, I would trust my um, nurse injector. I'd trust her advice any day of the week over, you know, what product is going to be best for me because we've built up that trusting relationship. But I also know that I can go and research those things um, myself. And I guess... Because the information isn't easily available, like you said, you've really got to go hunting and you might get diverted to an American website. The information that clients do then end up with is basically a random Google on all sorts of pros and cons. And they often come more confused than if you could have a dedicated Australian source. It definitely is. So getting back to your forum, so you are plastic surgeon a plastic surgeon surgeon forum only. So I'm looking at the industry. Okay. You've got yeah. you've got cosmetic yes surgeons, no. you've got plastics, you've got nurses, you've got physicians. So how do you 
you know, what, what's your policy on that and why? No one's safe. Anyone can be talked about. No, <laughs> in the forum, anybody can talk, right. be, be spoken about. Um, overseas surgeons are often discussed and, you know, obviously because people trying to discern who's qualified, who isn't, who had a good experience, you know, I'm going to a foreign country. But in the directory, which is where, you know, I likened it to realestate.com where you have your um, before and after photos and your reviews and you're basically showcasing your practice, your specialties and your skills. Mm-hmm. Um, we only have plastic surgeons and ENT surgeons in the um, the plastic surgery directory and in relation to ENT surgeons they only list procedures from the neck cut which is you know yeah, where you the presume their, their, their area of specialty so you you won't see any ENTs with um, breast Rest. augmentation before and after pictures not. even though that they do <laughs> some there's you know some of them do um, but we're we we're big on sort of keeping people within their specialty. And that's not to say that because you're a plastic surgeon, you're good. Hmm. Um, because if it, if if you were a plastic surgeon and automatic, automatically meant that you were like, great, there wouldn't really be a need for websites like ours. Yeah. Um, but that is just the basic level of um, training, so to speak, that basic standard. Um, so we at least know that we're connecting people with um qualified practitioners. But, um, David, we do have um, cosmetic dentists and um, nurse injectors in uh, and doctors um, in a separate directory just because it's probably not that helpful to have them sure. in the plastic surgery section. But we've only just branched out into that area. Hmm. Um, but it is, it's a growing, it's a growing area. People, I tend to find, at least with our audience, they may have come to us thinking about um, plastic surgery, so, you know, facelift or breast augmentation, liposuction, um, and then they're sort of introduced to this new world and, you know, they, they see the clinics around that do anti-wrinkle injections and um, fillers and things like that and then they, you know, they get the confidence to sort of dabble into that and, you know, they like how it makes them feel changing something about themselves that they, they didn't like. We often see people then go and do dental work because um, they, they're introduced to this um, world where you, you can actually fix things that are, you know, um, making you self-conscious or, you know, causing you um, pain and issues. Yeah. Going back to social media, I just wanted to sort of explore that a bit better. Mm-hmm. So you've now got surgeons and, of course, injectors and other practitioners who are not just doing before and afters, but maybe live streaming procedures mm-hmm. or, or doing videos. It's probably the more common one. From a consumer's perspective, that's kind of great. Cause, I love it. Because you can see, well, you can hear that surgeon talking. You can really see what's involved, whether, you know, you want to see the gore or not. It, it's there if you choose to see it. But can you see a negative to that as well? Are there any negative aspects? I think the negative aspects come from the way that it's done and, you know, making sure that the patients are consenting, that they can actually choose to have it removed later on if they want to, um, that they know how much is going to be shown. and But basically that they're fine. But it's interesting because we live in a world now where, 
you know, if someone has consented to being on a surgeon's Snapchat and for some reason they're not, they they get upset. <laughs> I've I've been at the hospital waiting room and um, a girl's family were all there watching it on Snapchat as it happened and they found out what size implant she had and it got everyone involved. Um, you know, I guess that's it. As in yeah. they wanted to watch it. They As in they out. wanted to watch it because... You know, she, they were excited. I yeah. guess it was comforting for them to see. But not sure if I want my dad watching. Uh. <laughs> oh no, I, it was her partner. But <laughs> but um, I guess the negatives would be if um, you know something happened during the procedure. But I can't see. Um, as long as the consent is as there, long as the consent and it's not abused, it's, it's not abused and it's done safely. I am a big advocate for it because I think with plastic surgery and, well, particularly surgery, but even injectables, we're not cutting our hair, you know. We're not even getting a tattoo, which, you know, can be painfully reversed. Um, This is surgery, you know. We're not going to the hairdressers. We're not just changing something on a whim. And I think if somebody watches surgery, they watch a breast augmentation, they watch a Brazilian butt lift, and they think, oh my god, there's. I can't do that, or I or I want I, to do that. I, I, there's like, oh my god, look, like, and they're turned off, but and that turns them off having surgery. Well done. I think that's good. well. It's almost better informed consent, isn't it? I it mean, it's is. almost like the. It's not just here's the before and here's the glamorous after after all the healing and the right lighting and angle and mm-hmm. now you can actually go, well, this is this is what actually happens. This is, this is what I'm in for. Cold hard truth mm-hmm. of what you're doing, and so when you have a breast augmentation and, and you've you've seen it all on Instagram and you've seen the flashy before and after photos and, you know, two days later you feel like you've been hit by a truck. Well, now you know why. (laughs) You can see what what actually happens during the procedure and I think that patients appreciate that the ones that want to go and see that those procedures being performed, they understand why they feel a certain way after surgery. I mean, I had a shoulder reconstruction that I was – it was medically necessary but I was totally unprepared for and – um. I, I couldn't understand why I had all of this pain, you know, down my ribs and down my back until, you know, I spoke to my surgeon a week later and he said, oh, you know, we had to move your arm behind your head to put the plate in. And I was like, wow, that that explains it then. You know, like I never, I didn't have the opportunity to see a shoulder reconstruction being performed. So I didn't know what I was in for. Yep. Um, and really the, the pain got me got me good like I I had no idea what I was in for I was really taken aback by how painful it was but if I had have actually seen what they do I would have understood mm. a lot more why I was feeling the way that I was and I think with plastic surgery it's elective it's good to be able to access that information but then going back to what we were talking about earlier with you know from the doctor's point of view and the patient's point of view the consultation and people often say it's like a date you know you're seeing if if you both click but it gives it it saves a lot of time in the consultation because if someone doesn't like your personality from what they've seen on social media from what they've seen on your videos with the way you're talking they won't bother to come and see you and for a yeah. consultation, and that that's a good thing. I, I encourage people to um, put out their personality, um, you know, on their social media platforms because you're going to attract patients that gel well with you, and then it's easier to have that open dialogue. You know, I, I really don't like a like passive this screening process, kind yeah. of. Mm. And I do know from the surgeons that do do um, 
you know, educational videos like that, they find their patients that come to see them, they already know what that surgeon's like. They they like that. They like their results. Yeah. Um, and they have that they're, they're educated patients. And I will tell you, educated patients are better patients in terms of like well, knowing. Know, they're going to accept the downtime, the scar, the fact that they were shifted about on the table, the exactly. fact that they were painted brown with iodine Ex- and so on and, and so if, on. And if, if, if you have a patient who has watched Brazilian butt lift being performed and has seen all of the liposuction and the, the recovery time afterwards and they're still prepared to have that procedure then. Well, I wonder if we'll move to a time where part of the consent is seeing a video of the surgery or or the intended procedure as well as photos of the downtime. So you can absolutely be clear in your mind that mm-hmm. that's the worst case scenario. That's the best case scenario. You'll fall somewhere in the middle. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, like you said, you're just giving them more and more information to make a rounded decision on whether that's right for, for them. Yeah, I do know that um, some hospitals won't allow it. They don't like it, and and that might be more to do with um, you know, like a medical legal point of view. Of course. Yeah. Um, but from a consumer point of view, I think it's great. I encourage it. I've gone into theatre many, many times and filmed procedures for Cosmetic Journey, and um, have put them on the on the website, on the on the blogs, and and people really enjoy it. Um, not because they're creepy and they like watching the gory stuff. I personally like love seeing these procedures being performed and um, understanding, you know, the, the artistry behind it, how difficult it really is and seeing, you know, why results are the way they are with certain people. So um, not just the size eight models that consent or that send in their post-op photos, you know, on the beach in their bikini, um, you get a whole different group of people who consent for social media um, videos, you know, when they're, um, when they're anonymous and it gives people better indication of what their results can be like, because it's like for like, I'm never going to have the same breast augmentation results as the, you know, the 18 year old that had, you know, no breast issue to begin with. And I'm a mum that's had, you know, three kids and, um, you know, empty breasts and poor skin quality. So I think it really does help with that um, Mm. understanding and being able to sort of show a little bit more like for like. So what would, if I'm a patient looking to get a a rhinoplasty, what... Penile enlargement, did you say? Reduction. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What would your advice be to someone that's, basically in the beginning of their research phase in terms of how they select the right surgeon for them. Yeah. Okay. So there would be a few things that I would recommend. I would say find a surgeon that has results that are in line with what you want to achieve and particularly finding someone who had a similar starting point as you Mm. and that you liked. Yeah, that's important, right? Yeah. Yeah, because like I said, you know, if – if you've got A cup breasts and 250cc implant is going to look different on you, mm. um, you know, it's the same with noses. Um, I would find a surgeon that produces results that you like because, again, this is all elective. Well, rhinoplasty has, um, you know, functional component to it if you can't breathe, but let's just assume it's selective. Um, is it objective outcomes you know like what i subjective 
<laughs> what what I think looks good, you might not think looks good. And so um, I think surgeons tend to have a style um, yeah. that they go for. So I think it's important to find someone that produces results that you like, mm. that are qualified to perform the procedure that, that you're interested in and um, and then that you that you like, you know, again, that, you know, you're going to be well supported afterwards. What's the aftercare like? And a lot of that comes down to talking to other patients because mm. unfortunately during the consultation, a surgeon might tell you one thing, but unless it's in writing and it's yeah. in their, you know, the aftercare plan and you've got this complication that you were told, you know, if you had complications within 12 months, you know, I, I won't charge you a fee, but you were only told that and you got a complication and then they've given you a quote. Mm. Um, you know, it happens. So I think that's when it's important to talk about other people's experiences. But, David, if you get a rhinoplasty, you know what you're in for. Mm. Um, well, I think it's also helped because, you know, the, the, the advice used to be go and, go and have a consult with three, four surgeons. It seems like now with sites like yours, it takes away a lot of that expense and time people can actually yeah. narrow down I mean, who choice. was telling people to go and see three surgeons? It's, so it's you know, expensive. You're paying like $250 a consult or something, which yeah. is, it, you know, obviously it's their time, but I mean, that's still a lot of, you know, money for a potential patient and time and from a surgeon day. point of view, mm. they would rather, well, I'm assuming that they would rather have a patient who's already sort of decided on, on them before they've come to see them mm. because it they don't really make money off the consultations, do they? It's about, you know, when they have the so patient okay. follow through with the surgery. So they'd rather not, um, you know, waste anyone's time yeah, get, no, getting okay. given the same information. Really when you have a consult, it, it, they, they'll tell you the same things. This is the complications. This is what can happen. And that goes back to the assumption that patients or prospective clients are have done their research but if that research is difficult because, uh, you know, they can't find that information online because it's, uh, you know, legally protected or they can't find the brand name of the implant, et cetera, et cetera, then it goes back to that loophole of where do people get the information in the first place. And you know what? I'm, like if we're being real, they get it from their friends. <laughs> From Facebook. You the know. word of mouth referral is by far and away the best referral for surgeons, I guess. Yeah. Because happy clients, you're going to see people similar to that client with the same likely expectations and, and socioeconomic group, etc. You might so. find surgeons or doctors actually referring people to your site before they come and see them. So yeah. <laughs> they can they, they do, although I did, have, I did have a surgeon say, I don't know if I want to send people to um, Cosmetic Journey to view my profile because then they'll see all of my competitors. <laughs> oh, they don't know they already exist, that's, I think. If you're good, you're good and people will talk about it and you'll attract um, patients just, again, from word of mouth and the internet now is just another form of word of mouth and it's it just makes that information a little bit more easily accessible to more people so that happy patient or that unhappy patient has a wider audience mm. and no one really buys things these days without researching it online i mean i don't buy a vacuum cleaner without reading reviews about the vacuum cleaner yeah. not necessarily going to trust that the uh, salesperson who's selling me that vacuum cleaner is going to give me you know well, once you read through 50 reviews, you get a flavour for what's... I do. Well, but, you know, I think 
with most things these days, when people go to buy something, when they decide to have surgery and they go and see, they've already decided, like they go to the shop knowing that I'm going to buy this vacuum cleaner. I've, I've already researched I've just it. done this for a dry cleaner and for a microwave because we're moving this week. There you go. And so you know <laughs> when you go there that like this is what I want. Yeah. Yeah. Changing um, times. <laughs> where do you see the future of I maybe your website or the review system? Can we make it even more real, authentic, or is this as good as it gets, word of mouth and people just dumping their thoughts on online? No. Okay, so you mentioned an interesting point earlier on in terms of like from a business point of view or a practice point of view, selecting who you would ask to leave a review. So um, I would like everybody to leave a review and, um, you know, that would for us as as a website and as a business, that would mean creating resources and tools um, for prospective patients um, to have throughout the whole process so then we could capture more more, more people and more information and um, not just plastic surgery patients but um, cosmetic injectables and dentistry and, you know, laser eye surgery or whatever it is that people are choosing to have to, to capture though that audience early on so that we're selecting who who we ask for reviews. And when I say we select, we ask everyone mm. for, to leave a review. Um and at the moment, we only have reviews for, you know, in the dedicated review area for um, plastic surgeons and ENT surgeons. So I'd like to see that expand into other areas as mm. well. Um, but, yeah, so I think at the moment the biggest thing that I think will hold things in the balance is really the law. Yeah. And there's a lot of... Um, a lot of things happening at the moment in terms of defamation law, in terms of, um, you know, high-profile celebrities suing publications and whatnot. Um, we we had a dental clinic um, down in Melbourne who um, had a patient who that they pursued legally about a, a Google review. So all of these things will definitely affect, the outcome of these things will definitely affect us because at the moment, there hasn't been a lot of testing, um, so it's hard to say definitively, well, I can confidently say that if we have this, we publish this, we're legally protected, yeah. um, we're going to leave it or, you know, we're leaving ourselves open to um, litigation because the laws are different everywhere. You know, what's what's legal in the USA is not necessarily able legal here yeah. um but i would like to see more people being reviewed yeah i mean david you're a business owner i mean do you agree that internally within a business it's really important to capture this data and and whether you do internal reviews that maybe aren't put on google but at least you give your clients the opportunity to feedback uh whether it's for a survey monkey thing or, or something else you can actually tease out that it um it's not our own you know our surgeons that are a problem it's the person who doesn't answer the phone at the front mm. or you'll find out about your business by seeking out actively that review or that feedback yeah whereas i think a lot of people shy away from that well I, I, they don't want they don't want the confrontation or the out the reality of it's you like know, poking in the bear yeah but i think that that's the only way you can improve unless you have that feedback and you know how to adjust or change your practices. There's, there's no way that it's going to get better. So I, I, I agree. It need, you know, 
And I think we're heading that direction. I think people are becoming more comfortable with the process. Yeah. How do you feel about, um, can't think of a, you know, you're not going to give a loyalty card for breast augmentation, but, you know, maybe Buy something. I get one free. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe something non-surgical, I don't know, anti-wrinkle injections is the obvious, obvious example. Do you think that that's like a, a good way of uh, keeping clients or do you think it's a unethical way of incentivizing people to come back I mean I don't even know if that's legal but yeah way, but I, I, I'm not sure that it is sure I'll just um, use that as an yeah, just to, to clarify to, uh, with um, <laughs> you know offering medical treatments but um, you, you know like sure I would love to be rewarded for spending all of my money in one clinic whether or not that's through a you know a nice skincare package or you know samples or a a, a free facial or something like that but, but where is the line in the sand is it some skincare or a free facial or is it an injection in your face or is it opening up your abdomen i think you know um, we're not offering a tenth coffee for every nine you buy that, mm, that's the issue yeah no and i think that that is the issue and i i'd i would suspect that there would be a lot of um uh legal issues around that. I, I do know that there's rules around incentivizing treatments, having time time limits on offers and things like that. And so I think it would come down to, you know, whether or not it was um, something that was medically necessary versus something that um, just anybody could perform as well. So if, if you need a prescription for that type of treatment or any of the products used, I would I would assume that that wouldn't be allowed, but, um, you know, a facial or something that is, um, you know, not less medical. Yeah. I think. Um, it's part of business. I guess. Part of business. It is. Added value for you. You've added value. Client. And I mean, as a, as a customer, I'd, I'd love that. <laughs> Fine line, isn't it, between medically responsible and then the business, the realities of a business. It's, it's always walking that line. Hmm. I mean, I don't know if doctors or clinics are aware of some of the guidelines for advertising. I mean, you know, the before and afters have to be very consistent, same don't lighting. Think they are aware. <laughs> uh, you know, you're not allowed to hashtag brands. Um, you know, you're not allowed to incentivize, as we just said. Uh, things like getting someone to come in for a breast augmentation by paying after pay and advertising that is not deemed uh, appropriate but you see it all the time you do see so it how do you police this well you know that's up to the regulators to to police that and i'm not i'm not sure that they have a very easy job doing that um because these are also um you know businesses that have money behind them as well that that can defend them and so you know if if there's consequences if it's something that is you know really important to either one side that you know, it costs a lot of money to then go and defend these things and mm. um, test cases. And ultimately that's what needs to happen before you have a finite result. And so a regulator can say, ha create guidelines that are guidelines. It's hard to know exactly what the you can do in, in that. And they don't actually give you that information. And if you talk to your um, insurance companies or your lawyers, you know, they're always going to err on the side of caution. So there is a lot of grey area. And so I wouldn't say that a lot of the clinics or um, 
you know, the practitioners are blatantly breaking the regulators' rules. I think they're sort of sca- sure. dancing within the grey area about, you know. I, I often feel that people don't know the, the, the rules to begin with. It's not. I often feel that, that nobody knows what the rules are and, you know, that you have guidelines but it's, and then fact sheets and things like that, but there's no really and, – and, of course, you know, the argument for that is if you say exactly what you can do or what you can't do, to sorry, you usually say what you can't do, then people – if you don't list everything, then people will find ways around that. So Loopholes, by yeah. creating guidelines, it's – allowing an opportunity to interpret and capture things under a certain umbrella. Hmm. Um, patients love submitting their own before and afters. They, you know, that might not be a medical um, before and after picture taken in a clinic, but, I mean, that is why Instagram pages from patients exist that you know that's a huge thing that's happening at the moment people you know documenting their journeys online and you know should the the surgeon be allowed to share that i'm i think that's know. a very generational thing too like my mum my mum would never do that but you know staff that work for me would so yeah <laughs> yeah I um it, it is a you know that they, they they might do it anonymously but mm. they they want to share that information but yeah like that is why sites like ours exist because you know we we fall outside of the scope of the regulators because we're not medical practitioners so um you know you get away with a bit more is that what you mean well yeah we, because we're not you know, I can have reviews on my website. I don't have any obligations to any regulators to to not put reviews. I'm not promoting well, of course, my leaving own. testimonials. I mean, a surgeon yeah, but, would not be allowed to do that on his own website. No, but so, but what is the difference between a review and a testimonial? Mm, do you know? <laughs> exactly. You know, um, you know, there there's some guidelines between what what the difference is, but I mean, it's it's I mean, not really clear. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's but very it is why it, But you would assume that a testimonial is almost something that has been deliberately... Incentivised or maybe... Incentivised or deliberately written for the purpose of advertising, whereas a review is more of a... Well, a testimonials are always going to be... Um, or reviews are, are generally going to be um, objective, whereas a testimonial might be only positive. You're not going to probably have a negative testimonial. Correct. Maybe. Yeah, but so, you're right. I mean, but, but yeah. in terms of from, you can't even, if someone leaves a re- Google review for you, you can't use that in your own advertising. No. You, you're not allowed to. So that that's why we exist and, and it's why um, websites like ours will continue to exist with these. But also, um, people have a little bit more trust in, in a site that's independent mm. because if you could have reviews on your website, are you going to really keep all of them on there or just the good ones? So you're keeping everyone honest. Trying. Trying, trying to. <laughs> I mean, you know, would you really want to go to, I don't know, uh, a non-surgical injector who has testimonials from their clients saying, oh, babe, thanks for the lips. Yeah. I mean, you do that, I you do that really well, Jay. I know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, no, not but, my. Yeah, you actually think that that is about attracting but, but your another generation may love that. And, and and if that's how you are as and how you interact with your clients and I am super conservative and I've I've seen you um 
from a referral from my GP or someone like that and, you know, I go and see you and you're like, oh, babe, let's give you some big juicy lips today and I, I, I'm like, <laughs> no, you know, that might not sit well with me. So I think, I, I think you know, there's yeah. there's something to there's be horses for that. horses. Exactly. And we have so much choice now. Yeah. You know, there's not... Uh, there, it, you know, there's no shortage of of doctors, of nurse injectors, of plastic surgeons, of any anybody performing these procedures. So we have the choice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everyone will say, don't make decisions based on price. And it, how realistic is that? Um, people are going to factor that in. And so, you know, do you feel that um, this is a, a complete speculation? But do you think some of the guidelines? that maybe are written by maybe older generational doctors or, or regulators even, they're not understanding social media uh, or, th- or social media has come too quickly. So I the think guidelines social media has, I think it's it. both. I think social media has changed and come around so quickly. And also um, there is that lack of understanding. And I definitely feel that the older generation are, are far more conservative. Like David said, his mum would like be horrified at the idea of sharing a boob job on Instagram. Hi, mum. Yeah. Hi, mum. <laughs> um, but, you know, they, they would be horrified by that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure David's mum would be horrified about, you know, the bikini modelling photos that people, some people Correct. share, or even, you know, mothers that share um, bikini photos with their kids. I mean, it's all, it's not to say that one is right or wrong. It's just um, a generational thing. But there is, and I've certainly seen over the last five years in plastic surgery, a little bit of a shift in terms of like when we started, we had surgeons who were like, oh, no way could we ever put before and after photos on 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 your website. That's that's what the consultation's for. You know that's mm. wrong. I don't like that. No before and after photos. You'd be it wouldn't make much business sense these days to be a surgeon doing elective cosmetic surgery procedures to not have before and after photos mm. because people just won't come to see you. Well, so many more people now. You know, like before when there was less people performing these procedures they had people didn't have much choice but now when you just said you've got like you've got all so many you need to differentiate yourself and show show um, what your style is and I think it it helps to have those patients coming to you because they like your work um but yeah it is a little bit like you know men in ivory towers you know making decisions for you know for the from the consumer point of well men and women (laughs) um making decisions for what they think is best for us but i think you need to listen to the um consumer a little bit more Mm. um and and see what it is because at the end of the day that it's only that the the medical practitioners that are regulated by these authorities so the the consumers can still go and talk Mm. um you know amongst themselves or in facebook groups that you know are closed and and then you have to wonder what the quality of that information is. You know, if you've mm. got, you know, Harriet giving advice on ALCL rates among the different implant brands, how on how the Bondi can, Facebook mum group? Yeah. Oh, you know. Sorry, you <laughs> just see all sorts of stuff that, and you just think, wow. So obviously there um, are a lot of different sites that offer like reviews and feedback for people. So one of our audience sent in a question um, wanting to know, you know, between things like Google or say Real Self, why should they come to cosmetic? Like what do you guys offer that is different or why should they come to you as opposed to somewhere else? So I guess there's 
two ways that I can answer that question from the consumer point of view and then also from the practitioners. But from the consumer point of view, we are Australian-based. We, we're from Australia. Our audience are Australian um, and all of the patient experiences, uh, most of them are, you know, Australian patients or New Zealand uh, patients coming to Australia. So um, from that point of view, we're the biggest platform in this country. We have the audience, we have the history. Um, we're, we've been going going on for about nine years now, so quite a long time. So there's a wealth of information there um, for people to come and find us. Um, but we are Australian focused. So the procedures, the surgeons, um, and the information is is all um, local it's based. Relevant, yeah. And it's relevant to our audience here. And so conversely for the surgeons or the practitioners, um, that's a benefit too because we're based here, you have a contact person here and we're able to have that dialogue. We're able to work with the practitioners um, in a way that, you know, overseas-based um, forums and websites like Real Self can't. Mm. Um, and so we find that we get a, a lot of interaction from the surgeons and the audience, at the, you know, the forum members, be, just because of where we are and who we are. We're Australian, we're local, and we're real people. Um, but on the reviews thing, th- there's other platforms here, like David said, Google and Real Self and RateMD and whatnot. Um but I always think it's a good idea to verify reviews in multiple places. And I think from a business point of view, that can only help you. If you have good reviews um, in more than one place, it makes you less tied down to to that platform for one. Mm-hmm. And also it helps people to actually see that you've got a consistent um you know, reputation everywhere, legitimizes it everywhere. And going back to the vacuum cleaner analogy, I don't look at just one website for reviews. You know, I don't look at just Amazon. I I look at more than one and and it gives me confidence as a consumer that these are legitimate because, you know, fortunately people do fake reviews, but Mm. um, not on our website. (laughs) Um, So just to summarize, how how do people find you? Is it worldwidewebcosmeticjourney.com? Yeah, www.cosmeticjourney.com. And we're also on Instagram, so just slash cosmeticjourney and Facebook with the same handle. Fantastic. Is there anything else you wanted to know, David? Thank you so much for coming down to see us. Thank you for having us. I'd like um, to think that you came all the way to Melbourne to see us, but you're already here anyway. So (laughs) I did feel feel a little bit more special before you added that bit of detail. But... Oh, look, you know, um, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And, um, yeah, if anyone has any questions, you can um, send me an email at Cassie, C-A-S-S-I-E, at cosmeticjourney.com, and I'll do my best to assist. Thank you so much. Have a um, safe flight back home. Thank you. Thank you.